Hi everyone, let's go very basic, let's go very fundamental and let's talk about the Satoshi Nakamoto white paper, the origin of Bitcoin and blockchain. Welcome to The Blockchain Lawyer, a podcast on technology and law. Dennis Hilleman is an accomplished lawyer with over 13 years of experience and a passion for creating a better future through blockchain technology, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive innovations. All statements expressed in this podcast are the opinions of the host and his guests only and are in no way legal or financial advice. And now, here is your host, Dennis. Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of A Blockchain Lawyer. Some of you asked me, hey Dennis, please go more into the basics of Bitcoin and blockchain because your latest episodes were good, but it's like already so deep into the technology and we still want to understand the basics. And I think that's totally right. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going way back, way back to the basics of Bitcoin and blockchain by having a look at the white paper of Satoshi Nakamoto called Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer electronic cash system. This is where the origins of Bitcoin and blockchain lie. I know some of you will argue that electronic uh, currencies and blockchain had been discussed before Nakamoto. But nonetheless, I think the white paper is what started it all. And I want to like give you a little insight of that. And uh, let me just tell you a little bit about Satoshi Nakamoto. Um, and that's already hard because nobody knows who Satoshi Nakamoto is. When it comes to the white paper, there are probably only a handful of 21st century documents that have had such an impact on the whole economy as Satoshi Nakamoto's Bitcoin white paper. Satoshi published a white paper in a cryptography emailing list on November 1st, 2008, so in the middle of a financial crisis, and it was titled Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer electronic cash system. Satoshi led the development of Bitcoin until the end of 2010. And now here, here it gets mysterious. Here it gets like where Fox Mulder probably should come in because then Satoshi disappeared. He just stopped posting in online forums and no one has ever met Satoshi Nakamoto and he always used the anonymization process to get online. And that is why it's still unknown until today who Satoshi Nakamoto is actually. I mean, if you follow that on the internet, on crypto Twitter, it's insane. The, the mysterious coming up, the theories who he is, like that he's probably the richest man in the world with all the Bitcoins he probably has. It's, it's insane. And I wonder if it ever will come out uh, and we ever get to know the truth. And Nonetheless, um, while still his identity is probably one of the biggest mysteries of the current internet, I mean, what he left behind, his le- his legacy is just as much impressive as, as insane because look today, a Bitcoin today, sometimes something he created like 10 years ago, today a Bitcoin is $8,000 worth. $8,000 of worth, of value that come from a white paper. And let me just read the abstract of the eight paper white paper. Just like get that into your head. 
eight, eight pages long. The whole document is eight pages long. And that's the origin of Bitcoin today, which like if you sum up all Bitcoins, is billions and billions of dollars worth. Eight pages. And his abstract already tells, from my point of view, everything you need to know about blockchain and Bitcoin. Let me read it to you. A purely peer-to-peer -peer version of electronic cash would allow online payments to be sent directly from one party to another without the burdens of going through a financial institutions. Digital signatures provide part of the solution, but the main benefits are lost if a trusted party is still required to prevent double spending. We propose a solution to the double spending problem using a peer-to-peer -peer network. The network timestamps transactions by hashing them into an ongoing chain of hash-based proof-of-work, forming a record that cannot be changed without redoing the proof-of-work. The longest chain not only serves as proof of the sequence of events witnessed, witnessed but proof that it comes from the largest pool of CPU power. As long as honest nodes control the most CPU power on the network, they can generate the longest chain and outplace any attackers. The network itself requires minimal structure. Messages are broadcasted on best effort basis and nodes can leave and rejoin the network at will, accepting the longest proof of network chain as proof of what happened while they're gone. So that's like the abstract and it pretty much tells everything you need to know about blockchain. Let's have a look at the background. We are in 2008, the financial crisis is up and you don't know anymore if you could trust banks. And like Satoshi lays down in his white papers at the beginning that the commerce on the internet has come to rely almost exclusively on financial institutions serving as trusted third parties to process electronic payments. Um, and of course, he's pretty much right until today. If you pay something on the internet, it's done through a third party. It's done for a credit card, for your bank, for PayPal. But to prove that you actually have the money to pay something, be it on Amazon, be it on eBay, be it on whatever service you use, like Netflix, I don't care. Whatever you do, you need to have like some sort of um, proof that you can pay for the service and that is like either a credit card, your debit card, PayPal, whatever. There's always a trusted third party involved. And what Satoshi lays down is that, that, that the system is, is in general pretty much fine and works, but like it also has its weaknesses. First of all, of course, there's a data problem because the trusted first party would know everything. But um, he mainly lays down something else like um, when you have a trusted third party involved, you of course have administrational costs, especially for settling disputes. If something doesn't work, if your credit card can't be charged, if PayPal can't get the money from your bank account. And so he writes, the cost of mediation increases transaction costs, limiting the minimum practical transaction size and cutting off the possibility for small casual transaction and there's a broader cost and the loss of ability to make non-reversible payments for non-reversible services. Also something interesting, he says like whenever you pay something on PayPal or like through your bank, there's always the risk that you 
like claim the money back even if you receive the service so the whole thing works on both ends uh, from the one delivering something to you from the, for the one giving you a service and like he must fear that maybe you claim the money back and also for yourself that somehow um you must you cannot pay everything um like easily like small server uh, small fee uh, fees are always involved especially on the recipient side and that's why um the um the toshi white paper came up with a solution as well and um he also lays down that there's a one really high risk and that is obviously that was 2008 very active that risk and that is the double spending risk like for example you buy something on amazon and you buy something on ebay with a hundred dollars and um, you only have 100 dollars in your bank account how is made sure that you don't double spend the 100 dollars um, if it was in the real world if, if you pay in cash um, you only have a $100 bill in your pocket, so you can only pay once. But online, that's a risk. Like you can pay maybe double t double the time, the money, what you have. And obviously for electronic cash, that was discussed a lot because there was always a risk that electronic cash would be spent double times. And that is what... Um, uh, uh, Satoshi wanted to solve. And he writes in his paper that the only way to confer to avoid double spending is that it must be confirmed that there's the absence of a transaction. For example, if I have $100 in a bank account, it must be confirmed, like just making a metaphor to banks, it must be confirmed that I have not spent these $100 already. So if it's about electronic cash and I make an transaction with electronic cash recipient wants to know hey does dennis already have spent this electronic cash and that's why he can't actually transfer it to me and so satoshi says and i think that's a pretty simple and very very clear idea the only way to confirm the absence of a transaction is to be aware of all transactions if all transactions are transparent if we can check on all transactions that there have ever been, then we don't know there is no double spending. Uh, double spending. To accomplish this without a trusted party, transactions must be publicly announced, and we need a system for participants to agree on a single history of the order in which they were received. And that's what the white paper is about. This white paper is the technical basis for the blockchain. This white paper is the technical basis until today for the cryptocurrency Bitcoin and other alternative cryptocurrencies. And to summarize this, I found this uh, on the internet and it says it combines several cryptographic concepts, hashes, signatures, medical trees and more to create a decentralized digital cash transaction system for the first time. Unlike all previous attempts to generate digital cash, Satoshi Nakamoto's invention is completely devoid of trust. Satoshi has come up with a brilliant and surprising solution to a problem the cryptographers had broken their teeth in front of him. So that is what Satoshi's invention is and that what is based, what Bitcoin is based until today. 
He wanted a purely peer-to-peer -peer version of electronic cash that will allow online payments to be sent directly from one party to another without going through the financial institutions. That is what he wanted. And how? what does the white paper actually say? And we will go through the main points of the white paper. I'll tell you a little about it and I'll also read you a few parts and then you will understand why it's such a genius why he was such a genius he or she we even doesn't even don't even know if uh, satoshi wasn't a woman and like why is satoshi just a such a genius and why has this idea of blockchain and bitcoin uh, spread so much what did, what does he want for transactions he wants fast transactions and he wants transparency how does he do how does he wants to achieve that he writes down each owner transfers the coin to the next by digitally signing a hash of the previous transaction and the public key of the future owner and adding these to the end of a coin or currency. A payee can verify the signatures to verify the chain of ownership. Remember what I said in my first podcast episode on blockchain, that actually like all information on the blockchain is hashed Information is put into a block. That block is hashed on the blockchain, sealed with a timestamp, so that everybody knows this information was valid and authentical at that time that the timestamp was done. And since everything is saved in a chronological order, we can be aware that nothing has been changed on the blockchain. That is what he wanted to for transactions. You transact electronic money to the owner. And this is all recorded on the blockchain. It's transparent. The new owner has the public key to access the block and to use the Bitcoin then. And all this is safe and transparent on the blockchain. And it's done extremely fast. If you don't know any more of the basics of blockchain, go back to my first episode and listen about it. And what has he said? Like, he goes into detail with a timestamp service. And that is something that I think is until today a brilliant idea. He writes down, the proposed solution begins with timestamp server. A timestamp server works by taking a hash of a block of items to be timestamped and widely publishing the hash, such as in a newspaper or a Usenet post. Isn't that a brilliant idea? Like, look at a newspaper. If you publish something in a newspaper, say, I publish on the 1st of October in a newspaper an article, then we all know Dennis has published this article on the 1st of October until the very end of time. You can go into libraries, you can go and check it online, because I, you trust the newspaper, you trust the date of the newspaper, the newspaper is timestamped. It says this is a newspaper art, uh, version from the 1st of October. You will always know what did Dennis write on the 1st October in a printed newspaper. I think brilliant metaphor. And so Satoshi basically says, let's do that in the internet. He says, let us timestamp our information that is put into a hash. So we all know that this information was there and authentical at a certain time. He writes, the timestamp proves that the data must have existed at the time. Obviously, 
in order to get into the hash. If a data existed at a certain time, it gets a hash. That is the simple idea. It's timestamped and you know, yes, this was the situation on, for example, October the 1st. And in each timestamp, and this is the second great idea when it comes to timestamps, each timestamp includes the previous timestamp in its hash, forming a chain with each additional timestamp reinforcing the ones before it. Go back to my first episode if you don't get that where I totally explain what blockchain is. This is what the block does. It creates a chain, a chain of timestamp of hashes. And by creating this chain, we know that the previous chain is valid too. We can go back to the very first block and know, yes, this information, this data has been there at the very beginning. What else does he, does he add? Because the timestamp is not enough. He says we also need to add a technical solution to make a proof of work. As later blocks are chained after it, the work to change the block would include redoing all the blocks after it. What does he mean? The proof of work solved the problem of determina determining representation in decision making. If a majority were based on one IP address, one vote, it could would be subverted and anyone able to allocate many IPs. To modify a pass block, an attacker would have to redo the proof of work of a block and all blocks after it, and then catch up with and surpass the work of the honest nodes. What does that mean again? If you listen to my first episode of my podcast, you would know that all information, all hashes are chained after each other and that the data is stored de in a decentralized manner on a system of computers. So it's not one IP, one vote in this decentralized system. It's one CPU, one node, uh, one vote. Every node gets a vote. Why? Because every node saves the whole data of a blockchain. And so if, it, if an attacker wants to change the blockchain, he would have to get access to 51% of all nodes to change the blockchain. As long as 51% of all nodes have the blockchain running in a commun in a com in a in the same way, all data is exactly the same on this 51st percent of all nodes, the attacker cannot change the data on the blockchain. That is why Satoshi said, no, don't do it with IP addresses. It's easy to gather IP addresses. Do it with the CPO power because it's hard to get ownership, to get access to, 50, to so many CPOs so that the attacker would own 51% of the CPO power of the blockchain. So basically now um, we're already talking about the, uh, the network system behind uh, Satoshi's proposal. And we can go into that and I just need to read that because I couldn't put it in simpler words. That's also the magic of a Satoshi's white paper. If you, even if you, don't, if you don't know much about the technology side, if you're not very much into coding or whatever, like it's pretty simple. It's written so well on eight pages that you can understand it. It gets a little technical in the end with coding. We don't want to talk about this here because I'm not a coder. But the main things 
the main principles are so well laid down and that is why I want to read to you what he writes about the network. The steps to run the networks, yeah, remember the blockchain is on a network, the steps are as follows. First, new transactions are broadcast to all nodes. Second, each, nodes, each node collects new transactions into a block. Third, each node works on finding a difficult proof of work for its block. Four, when a node finds a proof of work, it broadcasts the block to all nodes. Five, nodes accept the block only if all transactions in it are valid and not already spent. Six, nodes express the acceptance of the block by working on crediting the next block in the chain using the hash of the accepted block as the previous hash. hash. And that's the magic of a blockchain. We have a decentralized system that is transparent, that is immutable, that is secure, that cannot be hacked by, that cannot be hacked, and it's accessible because you can join the network and you can leave it as a node. And this is the magic of the whole blockchain laid down in these simple words explaining the network system. I, I still think it's absolutely fantastic, absolutely brilliant. Satoshi writes further, nodes always consider the longest chain to be the correct one and will keep working on extending it. If two nodes broadcast different versions of the next block simultaneously, some nodes might receive one or the other first. In that case, they work on the, they work on the first one they received but save the other branch in case it becomes longer. The tie will be broken when the next proof of work is found and one branch becomes longer. The nodes that were working on the other branch will then switch to the longer one. This is how he explains how the blockchain remains immutable and remains secure and transparent, that we can always rely on that the blockchain it has not been changed. I think it's fantastic. Satoshi also knew that people would not give away their CPO power to run a blockchain freely. That's why he wrote a very big part about incentives in his, uh, in his white paper. And that he absolutely laid down in very simple words. He said, okay, so people give their CPO power, they, give, they spend their money on the electricity to participate in a blockchain. Why should they do that? Why should they do that? He says, because they give, they get something in return. Let's start with the first block. By convention, the first transaction in a block is a unique transaction that starts a new coin owned by the creator of a block. It adds an incentives for nodes to support the network and provides a way to initially distribute coins into circulation since there is no central authority to issue them. So that nodes participate in the blockchain, they need some incentive. And Satoshi said, they, what they're going to do is pretty much like gold mining. They participate on the blockchain. And by doing all these difficult calculations with a CPU power for the proof of work, by saving the blockchain, they will eventually mine new coins. That's the first way how to get new coins on, or how to get like paid for, give, for being a node 
to mine new coins. That's what we call, that's what we all know until today from Bitcoin mining. It's very expensive, you need a lot of electricity, but in basically that was laid down already in the Satoshi white paper. Well, there's also another um, solution that Satoshi offers that's not about mining new coins, that's about transaction fees. He says simply like there could be transaction fees on the blockchain from that the nodes would profit if the input is higher than the output. For example, let's say you put in, a, you, know, you want to send 1 million coins to a friend and the transactions fee is like 24, 25 coins. When your friend receives like 1 million coins minus 25 coins, and the 25 coins are distributed along among the nodes um, among the nodes running the blockchain so that is the transaction fee the input 1 million is higher than the output minus 25 and the transaction fee the 25 coins are distributed around among the nodes um, giving running the blockchain and satoshi also said this is the way how we keep the nodes honest because it would be more profitable to stay honest than like put so much effort into changing the blockchain, which is in theory possible, but very, very unlikely. So he says nobody will have an interest even in like changing, hacking, altering the blockchain, because we will make it a profitable way. Uh, we will make it profitable to run the blockchain as a node. And I think that's a very, very good idea. He also talks about simplified payment verification um, by saying a user only needs to keep copy of a block headers of the longest proof of work chain. It's already a technical point. He talks about com bit, uh, combining and splitting value. Um, to, to say it in a simplified way, it would be unwisely to make a separate transaction for every cent in a transfer. To allow value to be split and combined, transactions contain multiple inputs and output. And one thing that I really like is what he talks about privacy. Um, he says, okay, so when we use a bank, it's pretty much private because nobody can see how much you own. And probably like, um, for example, you can actually, you maybe know like the account number, but you don't actually know who's behind it. And that's why um, he writes down for privacy, the necessity, the necessity to announce all transaction publicly pollutes this method but privacy can still be maintained by breaking the flow of information in another place by, by keeping public keys anonymous. Remember what I said in my first episode, like um, if you do a transaction on the blockchain, for example, with Bitcoin, you need a public key and a private key to go into the blockchain and send the Bitcoin. And people can see that Bitcoin is sent from you, for example, to a friend, to, to some other wallet, but they don't know that you, they don't can't link this information to a single person. The public can see that someone is sending an amount to someone else, but without information linking the transaction to everyone. And he said, and Satoshi, and I think this is so cool. He says, this is exactly the same that happens at the stock exchange. And that is very true. If you ever looked into a stock exchange, you can see how many stocks are exchanged. You can see, for example, that someone bought this and this amount of um, stocks from a certain company, but you don't know who is the seller and who is the buyer. You can see a certain amount, a, time, 
at a certain time an amount of a trade, but you can't see the parties of the trade. And that is exactly the same that happens on the blockchain. When he talks very much about calculations, that is very technical then. He explains how attackers, very theoretical with math mathematical um, formulas, even in the white paper, but how he wants to prevent attacking, very fantastic. Uh, you should, if you're interested in technical stuff, you should absolutely read it. But in summary, this whole white paper laid down the virtual revolution of a Bitcoin on simple eight pages. He created with this white paper a new payment method. It was the creation of a new network system for application in broad fields of life. As we know, blockchain is not only linked to Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And it's a solution for transparent decision making applicable also, for example, for election processes. 2008, eight pages that changed the world. The Satoshi Nakamoto white paper. We don't know who Satoshi is, but if you are a blockchain enthusiast, if you like Bitcoin, we all owe him very much until today. Thank you and until next time. If you want to learn more about Dennis, please visit his website, theblockchain.lawyer or connect with him on LinkedIn or Twitter. Until next time, everyone. 